Hi, this is Lydia, Maddie, and Alan. And this is Mike Bowman with episode two of Out of Mammoth. Like I said yesterday in the first episode, I hated school. Um, my history teachers were some of the most boring teachers I ever had. I think they were all football coaches. I think it kind of goes hand in hand back in the 70s and 80s. It was the same routine over and over again. Either read the textbook and answer the section review questions, watch a boring video on Friday, or they'd have some worksheet, you fill out the answers, put it in a basket on their desk, never talk about it, never connect any of the dots, and then you would just get your points and go on to the next thing. Um, it was all about memorizing. It was horrible. Dates, names, uh, boring details, nothing ever connected. When I got to college, one of the first classes I had was an astronomy class. Went to class, took notes, paid attention. One Friday, he plugs in this video, about seven minutes long. It's a Monty Python video. So we watched this Monty Python video. I laughed, thought it was funny. He called it a rap. He said, hey, remember your test is on Monday. So I left wondering what the heck was up with the Monty Python video. I did all my studying. I wanted to do better in college than in high school. I never studied in high school except for one class my senior year. I decided to see how well I could do. So I studied for one class one year in all of my years of school. So in college, I wanted to go about it a different way. So I studied and got all prepared for this astronomy test. On the astronomy test was a question that basically wanted me to compare and contrast a 16th century astronomer with this skit from Monty Python. I was blown away. I had everything memorized, had all the names memorized, had all their achievements memorized. And then there was this really odd question about Monty Python. So I finished my test, turned it in, went and stood outside because the class was only about halfway over and we were gonna come back in and discuss anything. And all these guys are out there standing around talking and some young ladies. And three or four guys are talking about how awesome that test was, especially the Monty Python question. Well, I didn't say anything because I didn't even understand the question. But I heard them talking. And then all of a sudden, my God, this makes sense. These guys know what they're talking about. So either after the test when we went in and the astronomy professor was talking or the next, thing, next time we had class, he's talking about the test and he starts talking about the question about the Monty Python video clip which I bombed, and I knew right then I was really going to love college because this whole thing was a whole different approach to an education. It required thinking and understanding and connecting things, and I was fascinated. So bombing this quiz question opened my eyes to how awesome education could be. Um, I've always taught that way. I'm not saying I'm awesome. I'm saying I don't try to have people memorize meaningless junk. So I'm going to give an overview of American history because it's a really cool story. It's not boring. It's not a bunch of boring dates. I'm going to start with a date. 1492, Columbus sells the ocean blue, right? He brings like two or three shiploads over of people, comes to the Americas, I think twice, might have been three times, always thought he was lost, died thinking he was a failure, and some guy on the voyage, Amerigo Vespucci, you don't need to remember the name, he believes Columbus has made a major discovery. He believes Columbus has discovered a land Europe didn't even know existed. He was right. 
Columbus had made a major discovery, even though he died not even knowing that. Isn't that a kick in the gut? You discover an entire continent, you change world history forever, and you die considering yourself a failure? He was from Italy, apparently, and he couldn't get any financial backing from the people in Italy with money. So he went to the king and queen of Spain, who financially backed his voyage. So that's how Spain ends up claiming all of the land in the Americas, together with Portugal claiming what would become Brazil. So Spain starts colonizing in what will become the Americas. They're the only ones playing the game with the Portuguese for you know numerous decades. England, realizing they're getting behind in the game, starts sending their exploration uh, voyages out to find this new land. Um, they have their first settlement, Roanoke, Virginia, Roanoke Island. The English bring over, I don't know, like 35 people, leave them on this island, which apparently wasn't a very good place to leave them because they like, might get washed away in a hurricane or something. And they established their first English settlement, 1587. You don't need to remember the date, but the date's important. 1588, they were supposed to come back. But Spain tries to conquer England. They send their navy to invade England and take over the country because of this whole religious argument with Henry VIII and stuff. And the Spanish are defeated. England will now be the world's power until the end of World War II. But the side distraction of the Spanish Armada of 1588, they forget all about the Roanoke settlement, and no one checks on them until 1609. So 30 years later, the English come back, and they establish their first colony in Virginia, 1609. 15 years later, they've established their second colony out of Boston in Massachusetts. So we now have the English colonizing in what will become the 13 colonies, and Spain is in Florida and in Central and South America. And then, again, the Portuguese. Uh, this goes on for a few more decades. France, not wanting to get left behind by the English, send out their explora uh, exploration teams. They start settling in Canada. And we have the three major European powers settling in America. Uh, these European powers hate each other. There's all kinds of intermarrying, all kinds of old arguments. And now their old arguments are going to come across the Atlantic Ocean and be part of our story, which gets us to 1754. There's a major war in the United States. We call it the French and Indian War. In Europe, they call it the Seven Years' War. It goes from 1754 to 1763. The English win, and they're bankrupt. So they want the colonists to help pay for the war that they fought for the colonists to get rid of the Native American threats and the French threat. And the colonists claim this is bogus and refuse to pay the taxes. This is what leads to the Revolutionary War. The Revolutionary War goes from the 1770s to early 1780s. We then have a, 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 a form of government after the colonists win that fails which leads to the Constitutional Convention, which leads to the U.S. Constitution being written, the first 10 amendments passed to guarantee the people their rights, 
And by 1789, George Washington is the first president of the United States, and we have an up-and-running constitution with the amendments known as the Bill of Rights. So continuing, we're now the United States of America. The first five presidents, Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe. George Washington does everything to establish the country. Everything he does is going to lay the blueprint. John Adams comes in, and John Adams isn't really loved. His personality doesn't endear him to many. And then at the end of his first presidency, he is part of a move to basically get rid of part of the First Amendment, which causes him to lose favor. And we get Thomas Jefferson, who's the exact opposite. He's all in favor of all of these rights and doesn't want a really strong government is his claim. Following up with him, we have James Monroe. James Monroe, in my mind, is most famous for something called the James Monroe Doctrine, where he told Western European countries, if you don't ever come to the New World, we won't ever go to the Old World. So we won't be fighting wars on each side, each side of the ocean anymore. Um, this is a follow-up to George Washington's farewell address, where he told the colonists, now the Americans, don't ever go mess up in Europe. Those guys are always fighting. We'll just stay away from it. So we have major policy in regards to foreign policy and entangling in Western Europe and all of their problems. <clears throat> Following James Monroe is John Quincy Adams, uh, supposedly a really brilliant man, totally qualified for the job, but because Andrew Jackson had actually won the popular vote and had, had actually won the Electoral College vote, but because of a quirk in the system, even though he won the popular vote and the Electoral College vote, John Quincy Adams became president. So Andrew Jackson spent the next four years sabotaging John Quincy Adams' presidency. So he doesn't get anything done. Andrew Jackson is elected after John Quincy Adams, and we have a whole new change to how our country is going to be run. He's the first non-wealthy person to become president. He's really, other than John Quincy Adams, he's the first president that wasn't part of the original Revolutionary War and Constitution. And he's a commoner. He wants regular, everyday commoner Americans to enjoy being free in this great country. At his inauguration, he throws a kegger and invites anybody that wants to come to come to the White House and drink and party. Um, they, they, they trash the White House. They have to replace carpet because people peed on it. Paintings that were on the walls of the White House disappear. And in the morning, there are hungover people sleeping on the lawn. Um, he's this wild and crazy guy. He starts this push to get the colonies, now the American states, to get the states expanded all the way to the Mississippi which is going to cause problems with the Native Americans, which is going to lead to Native American wars down the road. So Thomas Jefferson had pulled off the Louisiana Purchase. Andrew Jackson is really the one that really starts encouraging people to start moving westward. 
which will be known as manifest destiny, meaning God wants us to do this, which is going to start putting the whites and the Central Plains Native Americans into a struggle, pressures on each other. Texas is, Texas is established, leads to the Mexican-American War. Gold is discovered in California. The war is ended. And we now have the Louisiana Purchase and all this land in the Southwest. And Americans start filling in what will become the 48 states of the United States. This is going to cause pressure against the Native Americans. But also, it's a continuous struggle because the slave states want every other state to be a state that has slaves. So one for one, there's a major compromise in 1820 and then another major compromise in 1850 where the northerners and the southerners are trying to avoid a war because the south wants to continue having slave states and the north wants to stop where the slave states will be. This leads to the Civil War in the 1860s. Uh, this horrible war, I believe over 800,000 casualties on both sides. It's literally a war of brother against brother. Ends a week after the Civil War is over. Abraham Lincoln is assassinated. And we're starting a whole other chapter. In the South, it's going to be called Reconstruction because it's been destroyed. And they won't really catch up to the North until about World War II in the 1940s or 50s. And we're now going to start having a bunch of wars with Native Americans as whites are trying to expand westward. So we're into the late 1800s. And at the same time, the wars are going on with the Indians. And the South is really, really way behind. The Industrial Revolution hits. So the world is starting to change really, really fast with electricity and machines and technology replacing human and animal labor forces. Uh, everything looks great, but there's a lot of negatives to it, which leads to the progressive era, which is when government and other leaders in our country are trying to make life better for all of those that aren't being able to live the American dream. This is known as the progressive era, which is really going to end when Austria declares war on Serbia, and we begin what will become known as World War I. So World War I, crazy war, which is all going on in Western Europe and Russia and other places, but that's the main focus from the American perspective. And America wants to stay out of the war. Then the Lusitania is sunk. Something called the Zimmerman Telegram is discovered, and America decides that not only are we going to go to war, but we've decided Germany is the enemy. We'll go to war. We fight about a year. We wrap things up. World War I ends. We come back to the United States. And we have the Roaring Twenties, which is a 10-year party with all kinds of fun, no rules. And it comes crashing down with the stock market crash, which is going to lead to the Great Depression, which is a decade of horrible existence, poverty, unemployment, barely scraping by, and life sucks. We're going to get out of that, basically, when Japan, when Japan bombs Pearl Harbor. Japan wants to take over Asia. Hitler wants to take over Western Europe and eventually the war. They're working together. We again try to stay out of the war. As soon as Japan bombs us, we're launched into this war. 
We fight the war in Europe along with England and our allies, and we basically fight the Japanese by ourselves with a little bit of help from Australia. And the Chinese are struggling because the Japanese invaded them years earlier. We dropped the bomb in Japan to end the war there. And three months earlier, we have pushed Hitler all the way back to Berlin. And the Russians have pushed him all the way from Moscow back to Berlin. He commits suicide. Germany surrenders. And World War II is over, which is going to launch us into the Cold War, which is a 50-year argument with nuclear weapons between us and the Soviet Union, where we actually never fight each other, but there are other wars where we support different sides, and there's always the risk we're going to nuclear annihilate each other, and it's crazy. The Soviet Union goes bankrupt trying to build their military as fast as it could to keep up with us, which was Ronald Reagan's dream. It succeeds. The Soviet Union collapses. The United States wins the Cold War. And we're now in debt up to our eyeballs and trying to figure out a way to get out of that. That's basically a wrap of an overview of American history, which covers a whole year from 1492 Columbus to the 1990s. Thanks. Hopefully I haven't bored you to tears and put you to sleep. My three young, my three young assistants are actually asleep as I speak. I'm going to have to wake them up <laughs> and figure out how to get this thing shut down. Thanks. Have a blessed day. And that's a wrap.